Matthew 5, verse 7. This is God's holy and infallible word. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Snapshots of mercy is what I'm calling the message. If I were to show you some pictures, a bunch of snapshots of my family's life, you would learn a lot about us. You'd see pictures of of me and Sarah and Olivia when we lived in Europe for a year. You'd see snapshots of band concerts, sporting events, trips to the zoo, birthday parties, time with family in Michigan. Uh, You'd see uh, Sarah and I relaxing on the couch at night watching a show, pictures of us doing church ministry, and if, if you saw all those snapshots, you'd get to know my family, and, and you'd get a picture of what we're all about, how we spend our time, just like I'd get to know you if you shared your pictures with me. And those snapshots, of course, would reveal our family priorities, wouldn't they? They'd show how we spend our time, and hopefully uh, for each one of our homes, our, our commitment uh, to Jesus, our commitment to his people would would show up very clearly in those snapshots. This morning, we're going to look at snapshots of mercy to learn what mercy is all about. The Sermon on the Mount is showing us the blessed life. What a life of those saved by God's grace in Jesus looks like. And being merciful is essential to that life. It's essential to the Christian. Snapshots of mercy and Here's our roadmap this morning, what mercy looks like, where mercy came from, and where mercy is heading. First, what mercy looks like. One person says that to be merciful is to give help to the wretched and to relieve the miserable. Jesus doesn't give us examples here of the types of people who need mercy, uh, very likely because he does that elsewhere and because it would be very obvious to his listeners. Knowing God's will uh, from the Old Testament, Jesus would have in mind the hungry, the orphan, the sick, the outcast, uh, people who are overcome by disaster like uh, the traveler who was robbed and beaten, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Mercy is feeling poorly about people who are suffering and not stopping there, but doing something to help. Once in the 1800s, a preacher in England happened across a friend whose horse had just been accidentally killed. And while a group of onlookers expressed words of sympathy, the preacher stepped forward and he said to the loudest sympathizer, I'm sorry for five pounds. How much are you sorry? And then he passed the hat. True mercy demands action. We might say mercy is compassion in action. John Calvin wrote about our verse They are blessed who are not only prepared to put up with their own troubles, but also to take on other people's, to help them in distress. 
freely to join them in their time of trial and, as it were, to get right into their situation that they may gladly expend themselves on their assistance. Augustine, uh, one of the great fathers of the early church, apparently made a very big issue out of mercy. And he, they say, had these words engraved on his dining room table. Whoever loves another's name to blast, this table's not for him. Let him fast. At our dinner tables where we can so often chat about other people's lives, our attitude is to be merciful. Mercy doesn't care if someone deserves their troubles or not. That's something you and I do care about a lot. We can see someone who's poor or struggling in some other way, and and we decide how we feel based on what led to their misfortune. If it's their own fault, we may very well not be merciful because, after all, they kind of had it coming. But Jesus' followers, you and I, we care, period. That is mercy. A thoughtful Bible scholar writes, The first test of obedience to Jesus' way is not whether obedience makes us morally tougher, but whether it makes us humanly tenderer, merciful. It's interesting. An interesting thing to say. The Pharisees in Jesus' day made obedience to God all about moral strictness in their life and in the lives of everyone else around them. But Jesus regularly pointed out that strictness without mercy, that is a failure to obey God. Maybe you've heard of Pastor John MacArthur. He tells about his brother-in-law, Dwayne Ray, who was serving uh, on the pastoral staff of his church. This Dwayne's son, Tim, was a great athlete, a volleyball player at Cal State Northridge, a wonderful Christian young man. When he was 19 or 20 years old, he was working in a market, trying to get some money as a student, part-time work. A drug addict came in to hold up the market, pulled out a gun. Tim tried to intervene but was murdered on the spot. It's hard to think of too much worse a thing to happen than your child to be murdered. Well, they caught the guy. They put him away for life. And, you know, our reaction to that sometimes can be good. He got what he deserves. Let him rot. But the father of all people was merciful. Dwayne went to the jail to see him because he wanted this guy to know that he forgave him and he wanted to share with him the gospel of Jesus Christ so he would be saved from his sin. This is the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about. You might have seen the recent video of NBA coach Monty Williams speaking at his wife's funerals just like a week or two ago and it was on, it was on TV and everything and I saw it online. His wife was killed in a head-on collision when a car came into her lane. It wasn't her fault. She left behind a husband, five daughters, 
Williams says some incredible things in his talk at that memorial service. I'd recommend you check it out. One of the things he says is this, we have no ill will towards that family. And he talked about a verse that's on the wall in his home. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he said, we cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. Mercy means there's no retaliation, there's no vengeance, there's no holding a grudge, there's no relishing someone else's trouble because they kind of deserve it. Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10 is, is a beautiful snapshot of mercy. A Jewish guy walking on the road was beaten and robbed. He was left half dead. Two religious leaders, a priest and a Levite, passed by. They might have felt pity. They might have felt bad, but they weren't merciful because they didn't do anything. A Samaritan, though, came by, helped him, now, the Jews hated Samaritans and vice versa, but that didn't stop the guy. Mercy involves an inward sympathy, an outward act of compassion in relation to the sorrow and the sufferings of those around us, no matter who they are, no matter how they got in the situation they are in. What mercy look like? What mercy looks like? Second, where does Mercy come from, where mercy came from. Once you see the biblical snapshots, it becomes very clear <laughs> this, this stuff doesn't come from us. Mercy is not our human tendency at all. We like people to get what they deserve. We tend to say an eye for an eye because it's in the Bible. Never mind that it's Old Testament, but, but we sometimes relish a pre coming of Christ mindset. In Jesus' day, mercy wasn't much appreciated either. The Roman Empire in, in power back then, I'm told, had four cardinal virtues. Wisdom, justice, temperance, and courage. Mercy was not one of the core virtues. In fact, one Roman philosopher said, mercy is a disease of the soul. It's a sign of weakness. It's a sign that you don't have what it takes to be a real man. They glorified courage, firm justice, discipline, power. Some people today think our times call for similar attitudes, that we can't show mercy. But God's word never changes. His will remains the same. He was very aware ahead of time of the days we'd be struggling to live in right now. And his good and perfect will then and now is that we are merciful. Jesus gives a parable about lack of mercy in Matthew 18. Uh, we call it the parable of the unmerciful servant. It's a picture of mankind's attitude apart from Jesus. The disciple Peter asks a question about mercy. He says, Lord, how many times should we forgive someone who sins against us? He's asking Jesus about forgiveness, and forgiveness is probably about the hardest kind of mercy to practice. Forgiveness is mercy when we ourselves have been wrong. 
Now, Peter's been around Jesus. He's been hearing Jesus on forgiveness, on this mercy stuff, and he thinks, I think, that he's being very generous when he says, shall I forgive him up to seven times? But Jesus says, no, Peter, not seven times, 77 times, which is another way of saying indefinitely. Always show mercy. And remember, this is someone who has hurt you, who has wronged you. The person doesn't deserve it, yet show mercy. He slaps you in the face, forgive him. He steals your money, forgive him. Talks behind your back, forgive him. The parable is about a servant who is not merciful. He owed a king 10,000 talents. It's more money than really most of us, any of us can make in a lifetime. Millions and millions of dollars. The guy begged the king to be forgiven this impossible debt of millions upon millions of dollars that he owed the king. The king took pity on him. He did forgive the debt. And that's, the king showed mercy. That's compassion in action. Next day, this servant turns around, tracks down someone who owed him a hundred denarii, like maybe a few thousand dollars. That's something. It's a whole lot less than what he owed, though. The guy begged for leniency, for more time, but the servant who was shown mercy instead went by the letter of the law. He had the other guy thrown into prison. The king caught wind of this, called the servant back. I forgave you. Shouldn't you have had mercy on the other guy like I had mercy on you? You couldn't forgive that little bit after I forgave you so much. And and so the king then had him tortured until he could pay back all he owed, which would have been never. God's the king in the parable. The eternal torture is a picture of hell. It's saying if you don't show mercy... It's because you don't truly know mercy. How can you be saved and unmerciful? You can't. You can't. The Bible, from the beginning, reveals the mercy of God. The Old Testament already talks about how God had compassion for his people, though they didn't deserve it. Uh, King David sings about it in the Psalms. We sang one of them this morning. In the temple, the place of worship, in that deepest part connected to the Ark of the Covenant, was the mercy seat. Even way back in the Old Testament. In the most holy place of all. Maybe a little... Kids might have been a little little scared of that place, and the people too. But the people knew in that most holy place where God dwelt was the mercy seat. Mercy for sinners from our God. And you see, our sin creates a debt that can never, ever be repaid to God. And it deserves our everlasting punishment. We're in trouble, all of us. We're looking at everlasting debtor's prison, hell. God sees you and me. God sees his people in this ultimate trouble. Though we deserve his wrath and the suffering and troubles of sin, he looks with compassion on us. He does something about the situation. And the Bible is the story of what he does and how he does it. It's the story of mercy. 
God is preparing the way in the Old Testament and in the New. We read how he sent Jesus to come to die on the cross to rise again so we don't get what we deserve. Our debt is paid because of Jesus and we go free. To know that, to understand that, and to trust in Jesus so that we receive salvation is to understand mercy. You and I have been forgiven the equivalent of millions upon millions of dollars, the wrong other people do against each other by comparison is only a few thousand dollars worth of damage. That's how we can show mercy, knowing that our debt to God is much greater than any debt between people can be or any debt against us could ever be. And if we don't get this, if we don't know this, we won't get mercy, we won't know mercy. When you take Jesus out of the picture, you've only got payback, revenge, harshness, a let's get him mentality, It's exactly what you see in Muslim-Jewish relations over the years in the Middle East. What's the same about the Jewish people and the Muslims? They don't have Jesus. There's no mercy. And it's why they're destined to continue to fight, to continue to get back at one another, to continue to hold grudges. There's nothing to break the cycle if you don't have Jesus. I really sincerely hope that we have enough people in our society, in our government, who have personally experienced the forgiveness of our God, His mercy, to know how futile and useless that cycle is. But yet, we sometimes see a pull toward going back to the old values of the ancient Romans and the values of Muslims, of peoples in society that don't know Jesus, that don't know the kingdom of God. But if you know Jesus, you know mercy, and you're merciful. And that leads us to our final thought this morning, where mercy is heading. What it looks like, it's compassion in action, where it came from, Certainly not from us, certainly not from this world, but from God and Jesus. And now, a snapshot of where we go from here. In short, we are merciful. We share mercy with the world that needs it. The church is called to the ministry of mercy. In fact, that's an old name. Maybe you remember that sounds familiar to you. Uh, to you. An old way we refer to the work of our deacons, Right? Uh, they are called to lead us in the work and ministry of mercy. God, we know that God had compassion on us sinners and acted by sending Jesus, and so we have compassion. We act when we see people in need. It's, it's why we're, we participate in pads. It's why we help those sick kids at Loyola through the shoebox ministry. It's why we're involved with Crossroad ministry to people who are thrown away to rot. We care about them. We want them to hear the gospel. It's why we support all God's children and tapestries of life. It's why over a hundred of us 
went to feed my starving children the other week. It's, it's why when someone is hurting and, and we hurt with them, we come around them with prayers, meals, cards, a hug, financial assistance if it's needed. It's why we're extending mercy and our hearts are going out to the Lancer family. Because we know mercy. We've got to give it. We want to give it. Although being merciful for a Christian is a no-brainer, it's not always a no-brainer on how to be merciful. Our deacons know mercy doesn't necessarily mean giving money just because someone comes by and says they need some. There's a really good book called When Helping Hurts that says handouts, among other things, may not always be the compassionate or helpful thing to do. It's not merciful to do things that may keep people in poverty, that may keep people in their suffering, right? Being merciful is a clear call, but sometimes in the complexities of society and our world, it can be tricky. What does mercy mean for a country in foreign policy? What does mercy mean for our domestic policies? There are sincere Christians who think mercy means more government programs to help those in need. There are sincere Christians who think mercy means less government programs. That's how you help people. And this is why we need sociologists and economists and policymakers immersed in biblical values and by God's common grace, even people who don't profess Jesus can provide great wisdom on all these matters. If showing mercy was always simple and easy, everyone would have the exact same answer on how to do it in every case. But that's not the case. It means it's not easy. So we need the Holy Spirit as God's people, as we do in everything, to lead our thinking and our praying and to open up God's Word and to reveal how it intersects with societal issues today. And, and, and we need the Holy Spirit to meet each one of us in our lives day by day, and we pray earnestly for that as believers. That we show mercy, though, is a no-brainer. It's who we are. It's who you are. It's part of our nature when we belong to Jesus. We see others with a Christian eye, not a worldly eye. People who are slaves of sin and Satan and the ways of this world are not people we should hate, or who we just as seen see rot because of the mistakes, but they are people who deserve our compassion. They are where we would be still if it weren't for the grace of God shown to us. And so we must be merciful to everyone. The promise is here that if we show mercy, if we are merciful, we will be shown mercy. This is the only beatitude where the promise is exactly the same as what we're called to do. What does that mean? Well, it's not a condition for us getting God's mercy. That couldn't be. We can't do anything to be saved. Being merciful doesn't earn us God's mercy. God's mercy can't be earned. It's why Jesus came to win it for us. 
but somehow there seems to be a cumulative effect of being merciful. It feeds into itself. It grows. We'll experience it more and more and get it more and more as we live out of God's mercy. Mercy is something that we have to offer that is totally out of this world. It's only in our world because of the grace of God and Jesus. It's integral to our lives, to our mission, to our calling together. As we live more and more by God's grace, confessing, we make mistakes and we sin along the way. But as we do, we get closer and closer to the day when our shortcomings here, the complexities of of how Christians live in the world today, the challenges, we get closer and closer to the day when all that's going to fade away. Jesus will return on the clouds. And the Bible talks about the saints gathering around the throne of God. And it's called, also referred to there in Revelation as the mercy seat. The mercy seat. It's going to be so great that all our trouble and suffering and heartache and pain and questions will vanish as we are overwhelmed completely and perfectly by the sweet mercy of the Lord in glory. And God's mercy is so sweet, it's so great that Everyone has the opportunity to be there on that day and to experience it fully and perfectly in heaven by believing in Jesus, by calling on his name. If you've got a little trouble with this whole mercy thing, maybe, just maybe, you haven't received God's mercy in Jesus. You're not experiencing it. But the fact is, you can. You confess your need for the Lord, you call on Jesus, be part of the community that knows God's mercy, the church, and is seeking to live it out. As we receive God's mercy in our need, friends, we live it out, we extend it, and the world and people around us bit by bit are changed. God is glorified in his people living for him, and his kingdom is advanced and will be advanced until he comes again. Amen.